The advice in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute medical advice. Always consult your doctor if you are concerned about your child's health. We recommend always following the safe sleep guidelines. In the spirit of reconciliation, Dr Fallon and Dr Laura acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They pay respects to the elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. Hi, and welcome back to Brand New Little People, the podcast where we talk all about all things early parenting with a particular focus on sleep and settling and crying in the first few years. I'm Dr. Fallon Cook. And I'm Dr. Laura Conway. We're paediatric sleep practitioners at Infant Sleep Australia and founders of Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic program, Sombell. So welcome back again to another episode. I think we're up to number 11 now, which is great. Um, and on the, over the weekend, I sent out an email to our, um, our subscribers for our newsletter. And it was all about how to manage sleep through big changes. So, um, you know, it could be separation anxiety. It could be that there's been a loss in the family or, you know, some illness or teething. Um, they're the really hard times to parent through. I know that's that's been my, ex- my experience. And Laura, we were having a chat earlier. You've definitely got some stories to tell about those tricky parenting moments as well. Um, and it seemed to have a really good response this email. I think it resonated with a lot of people. Um, but Laura, do you want to tell us your, um, your story about your challenging parenting moment and how that went? Yes. Um, So when my um, second child was just about to turn three, um, he had a a traumatic accident where he fell over and fractured his skull. Mm. Um, And it was awful for everybody involved um, and involved surgery. Um, And uh, as you wouldn't be surprised to hear, um, he was really quite upset for some time afterwards and found it very hard to go to sleep um, mm. independently. And I certainly didn't feel like it was appropriate either. Um, I also felt a little bit traumatized by the whole experience as well and really wanted to be able to give him more support when he was um, going off to sleep as well. So um probably for three or four weeks after the accident. Um, I used to lie on the floor in his bedroom beside his bed as he went to sleep. Um, And I was doing some extra study at the time. So (laughs) I used the opportunity to um, do reading for my extra study. And I just had a very dim light and would, uh, I put a yoga mat on the floor beside his bed and I would um, just shush him and be reassuring to him as he went to sleep and I would sit there and do my reading. Mm, uh, I love that you've multitasked. <laughs> multitasking, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so lovely because yeah, it would have been such a, a horrible experience for him. It's no surprise that he would have wanted that bit of extra support and to keep you close at bedtime. Is that what he was really seeking out? Like if you were trying to leave the room, was he quite upset about that? Yeah, he'd get upset. Um, so when he came home from hospital, um, for the first couple of nights, I slept in the room with him just because he had a head injury. I'd wanted to make sure that um, he was okay during the night. Um, and then when I thought, okay, that's um, 
probably enough. Um, I started trying to leave the room like I had done prior to the accident before he went to sleep. And he just became really upset, hysterical and would get out of bed and come running after me. Um, and, you know, that was disturbing his older sister. Um, and it was just upsetting all around. And I realized that um, I really needed to go much more slowly with him. Um, and, um, you know, he'd had the experience of waking up from his surgery and, um, mm. I was on the other side of the door. It was locked. You know, I was waiting for the nurses to let me in. I could hear him screaming in the recovery room. I couldn't get mm. to him. Very sad. And so all of those things I just had to take into consideration and just say, well, for uh, my little one at that point, um, he was really going to need a lot more support and reassurance um, for quite a long period of time um, and I found that even if I um, just tried to leave the room for a few seconds he would hop out of bed and come running after me so I really had to go very very slowly um, and just start even just getting him used to me standing up and then um, lying back mm -hmm. down again um, and it, so when I am in the clinic working with families who have toddlers who are going through, you know, obviously not anything exactly the same as what I experienced, you know, they have their own stories to tell. Um, I have that lived experience too. I know yeah. what it is like um, and I know how important it is to tailor your approach to your child at bedtime so that it suits exactly what they have been going mm. through and what you as a family have been going through. Yeah, definitely. It's so common, isn't it, that after a hospital stay in particular, that they develop a bit of separation anxiety. They suddenly realise that actually the world's not quite as predictable as I thought it was. Sometimes things mm. happen and I'm going to find myself in a situation I'm not expecting and that can really throw them. And that's why we ask every family coming into clinic, have they been in hospital recently? <laughs> have there been any mm -hmm. you know, big, big events like that? Because it's, it's so understandable when they're so small that something like that is really going to throw them. And it sounds like you did such a good job of giving him that extra support. How did you find getting out of the room? I know you mentioned it like you were in there for a few weeks, just sort of sitting or lying on the floor, waiting for him to fall asleep. Was it, you know, did he get to a point where he was fine and you could just leave? Or did you have to really slowly kind of work up to, to leaving the room? I had to really slowly work up to leaving the room. Um, it wasn't like it, it was suddenly a day where he could manage me leaving. Um, and it was just a very slow process. So, um, yes, I started, um, initially I'd been lying beside him on that yoga mat. And then I think I, um, I moved to sitting on a, a chair um, with my laptop on my um, lap, very dim light on the other side of the room. Um, and then I, um, yeah, just very gradually um, increased the length of time that I left the room for at the start of the night um, so that I never left for so long that he jumped up to come running yeah. after me. Yeah. yeah, good idea. And I love that you, I mean, I know you were kind of trying to multitask and fit a few extra things in there, <laughs> but I love that you had something on your lap for you to do, because often that helps to send a signal to them that 
you're not kind of there to keep engaging in discussions with them or, you know, sometimes they take it as an opportunity, um, you know, to ask a million questions or, oh, mum's there, so I'm going to tell her this story about what happened at kinder or or whatever, mm. which often gets in the way of them falling asleep. So by having something on your lap, and I often say to parents, you know, have a book or a magazine or whatever it is, um, it just helps to gently send them that signal that you're, you're present but you're you're not going to be engaging in a whole lot of talk and chatter or, or extra demands or whatever it is that they're... Um, they're looking for and that can really help to get them off to sleep quicker too yeah and you know what fallon he um he's uh quite a few years older now but one of the sounds that he finds really soothing to this day is the sound of me typing on my laptop <laughs> i reckon there will be parents parents who've done phds or higher study where they've you know had a lot of work on their plate i reckon there would be a whole lot of kids <laughs> who find yeah that tap 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 really soothing <laughs> yeah we don't need one he doesn't need white noise he just needs me tapping on my laptop. so you're not like you're not on spotify googling like ocean noises it's just like um a busy office space <laughs> yeah. that'd be your ideal backing track through the night <laughs> that's right uh, and fallon what about it. you what, what tell me some of your um stories about um when you have experienced changes um, in your family life where which have impacted your children's sleep yeah yeah look I was having to think about this before and I think one of them was fairly recent in my daughter who's six years old so that little bit older but they can still you know things can still rattle them really at any age and you know particularly at bedtime I think too even as adults we know this is the case often during the day you're busy and you might not think about something big that's going on in your life the minute you lie down to go to sleep, it's all you can think mm-hmm. about. And often that's not really conducive with falling off to sleep quickly. I reckon we've all had that experience. Um, yeah. So, yeah, my daughter, my six-year-old, um, she'd just been out of sorts. And, you know, often they don't – this is the other thing. They don't tell you. They don't necessarily say, hey, this thing's bothering me. Mm. Um, and you're just kind of wondering what is going on at the moment. They just seem a bit off. Um, and she just seemed a bit clingy. She was – I can't remember exactly what questions she was asking, but just sort of things around like, uh, you know, she'd say things like, I don't want you to die, mum. And I'd be like, well, oh, I'm not planning on it anytime soon. <laughs> it's a really tricky <laughs> conversation to have that one because you can't yeah. promise that you won't. No. Um, but she was just sort of saying a few odd things. And at bedtime, she was just sort of wanting me to hang around that little bit longer. She wasn't super upset or anything. Um, but just seemed a bit out of sorts. And it took a few weeks for me to realize that something had really been on her mind. And it was that a friend at school had lost her mother and that friend had been talking to her about it and her Mm. experiences. And to my daughter, she'd never, ever considered that a parent could just stop being there. And Mm. that is what had really thrown her that, okay, it actually is possible. Sometimes parents do disappear. Um, which is a really Mm. difficult and big concept for a six-year-old to deal with. Mm. And usually they're a little bit older when they start to become aware of these things. Um, So I really just, I I didn't have to sort of be right there in the room like you had to with your son. Um, I think it helped actually my my kids share a room they absolutely love it and they're really good comfort to each other so there's a hack it doesn't work for everybody but mine actually work really (laughs) well in a room together they take a lot of comfort from knowing you know they've got got each other nearby um but I just had to have some conversations with her around I don't know just sort of explaining that when she's asleep 
I'm still there. I'm in the next room and I'm always listening. Mm. And I'm always, you know, and I was talking about how she's a very practical kid. She likes to know all the details, but how we have smoke alarms so that if there was something wrong in the night, the alarm would wake us up. And the first thing Mm -hmm. I would do is I would come and get her and make sure she's safe. So she just kind of needed to have a few basic gentle conversations around my role as being the protector so that she Mm -hmm. understood she could go to sleep and it would be okay. Um, And the really important thing, and I think this goes for whether your child has suffered a big loss or, Um, even just big life changes if they're starting childcare or maybe they're unwell or they're teething, keep that bedtime routine consistent. Mm. You know, when your child's world is full of chaos and they're really worrying about lots of things, having a predictable wind down routine is just so important. They need to know that they can rely on that little bit of predictability um, and it can really, really help them prepare for sleep um, and make a really big difference. So with my daughter, I really focused on trying to keep things the same, keep things predictable. Um, and that really helped her get through that and start to process it a little mm. bit. And, you know, she's fine now. She's completely fine. I can say goodnight and head off. And there's always a few yelps of complaint, <laughs> a couple of, <laughs> I need another water or, um, <laughs> you know, not this toy. I need another toy. Um, but she's pretty good at knowing when I mean business now, when I say, no, that's it. Yeah. You've picked your toy. It's time for sleep. Um, you know, she's, she's pretty good. She's back on track again. Thank goodness. Because, um, I, as you know, Laura, I have very little patience. I need my time in the evening for me. It is literally the only time I get for myself each day. And you know, that's the case for so many parents. Um, so yeah, I was really glad to get through that, that little rough patch with her settling and out the other side. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, thank heavens. Um, and yeah, we do often hear, don't we, from parents who, um, are having a tricky time with their babies and toddlers and preschoolers at bedtime that they really miss having that time to themselves in the evening. And it is just so important for us as adults to have that time to recharge. And um, if your bedtimes with your children are really protracted, um, it can just begin to impact everybody's mental well-being. Um, so I think that's a really good tip, Fallon, for um, parents to bear in mind if there have been some big changes um, in their um, uh, little one's lives. And it doesn't have to be as dramatic as a head injury or a, a, a death like we've, um, we've just talked about in our examples. It could just be um, that they've, um, they're now going to daycare one extra day a week or that um, they've moved into a new bedroom. You know, those are big changes relative to your um, child's life. Um, and so having that really reassuring wind down routine where um, if, even if everything else is a little bit off kilter during the day, um, your baby or toddler can rely upon just that same predictable sequence of events happening in the run up to bedtime can help them feel secure um, and um, comfortable that they when all the things are feeling like perhaps the um, the wheels are falling off during the day for them. They can just really rely on having that nice, warm, predictable routine at bedtime. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to what you're saying about it being important for parents to get that time at the end of the day, I couldn't agree more because I think, I know in my situation, I didn't have that luxury of 
calling the grandparents to come and do the settling so I could just go out and do something for myself. And I think that's really familiar for so many parents. Mm. We're kind of doing this quite solo these days and we don't all have family living nearby. So your only chance to really take off your parenting hat and hang it on the hook, you know, is Mm -hmm. in the evenings when they go to sleep. So yeah, really important to, to protect that. I was also thinking too about one of the main, you know, sometimes we help parents with their children's sleep and then everything's going beautifully. And then they come back to clinic and we're like, what, what happened? What's, what's been going on? And a really common thing that tricks, uh, trips people up rather is if their children become unwell and they go from, they go back to an old habit that they've previously mm. worked to drop. So in so many families, this is that their child used to co-sleep with them and share their bed for months or even years. And then they worked really hard on building their confidence at settling in their mm. own room. And that's gone really, really well for a time. But then as soon as that child became unwell, they brought them straight back to the parent bed. Mm-hmm. And we get it. It's really hard. Yeah. You know, if they're really unwell, it's so hard not to just take the easiest path at 2am when they're really upset and just bring them to bed. But what's harder than that is getting them back to their own bed when they're feeling better. So what we always, always suggest is if they need you there during the night, you go to them. Don't bring them to you. I mean, obviously every family's different. If you're a really happy co-sleeper, go for it. But if this is something that has been causing a lot of difficulty in the past, try not to go back to it. Um, try to just go to them and it might be that maybe you even sleep in their room all night on a spare bed on their floor Um, that's fine but you'll find it easier to gradually get yourself out of the room um, than to you know find some way to get them back out of your bed because a lot of parents do say oh you know I'm trying to trying to get them back in their bed and we're just having an absolute disaster what do we do yeah Um, actually Laura you were telling me before about this great um, analogy you have for the framework and and I heard you describe Mm. it and I thought that is gold talk me through the framework Mm. that you you talk about with parents yeah so um often in the um review appointments um where parents have um had their initial appointment they've put the sleep plan into place and they've seen um, major improvements in their um child's sleep they are then so nervous about going back to how things were before or in Um, circumstances like you were just describing sometimes unfortunately they have gone back to how things were before and they're now freaking out because they're thinking oh all that hard work we did was for nothing um so what i um uh often think about is um in helping parents understand um how to respond in these situations where um sleep is beginning to be impacted by things outside of um their control is to consider building scaffolding up around their baby or toddler or preschooler um to offer extra support at bedtime or overnight and just enough extra um to help get sleep back on track but not so much that um you're going all the way back to where things were in the past. So what I um, often describe is different levels of scaffolding. So the very first level of scaffolding would be if your child is sick or teething, the first level that you build up around them may be um, offering pain relief. So be that baby Panadol or baby Nurofen 
um, under the advice of the pharmacist or the family doctor. And that might be all of the extra support that your child needs to be able to go to sleep um, in the way that um, is best for them and their family. Sometimes, though, that first level isn't enough. And so I talk about building up the next level in the scaffold, which would be increasing the amount of sleep that your um, child can have. So it may be that your child um, needs extra daytime sleep, perhaps an extra nap, um, or you don't want to be waking them up in the morning like you normally would do, just to ensure that Would that they're... be like, particularly if they're unwell and so it's less about them having a big life change, but more if they're feeling sick, they might just need that bit of extra sleep? Yes, yeah, that's right. So if they're sick, they might need extra sleep um, so that their little bodies can fight whatever bug they have. Um, so that would, um, yeah, that if the um, change that has happened um, for that child is not related to being unwell, that might be a scaffold, that a level that you don't need to do. Um, so another level of scaffolding that may be... Um, that would be appropriate to a range of situations would be um, providing um, a bit of extra support as your child goes to sleep. And so that may be that in the past you were able to pop them down into the bed and just leave um, the room. But this level of scaffolding might be that you simply sit in a chair beside their bed as they go off to sleep, much like I did with my son after his accident. Um, sometimes if your child is really upset, you might have to build the next layer of scaffolding. And Fallon, I know you can see me as I have my hands like, you know, demonstrating a ladder, but I realise no one hands, can. I was like sneakily taking some screenshots because I was like, we're going to need to be able to show oh parents the hands <laughs> going up. We're yes. going to have to start video recording so these. Going <laughs> yeah. Um, so the next level may be that you actually have to have your hands on your child as they go to sleep, like patting or just resting your hands on them. Um, and then we think about like getting right up to the top. So if the child is really upset or very unwell, um, then um, it may be that actually you have to hold your child in your arms until they're very, very calm, drowsy, or, you know, if in an instance where they've got they're very congested and really unwell and all blocked up it may be that you actually have to hold them in your in in your arms until they're asleep and then put them down in the cot um, then what um, can be really helpful is to think about then taking the scaffolding mm. down um, as they either become better if they're unwell or as they're um, time elapses from the big change that has happened to them so you bring down that scaffolding layer by layer mm. um, and then you're um, just gradually getting back on track yeah yeah I really like that mm. idea of the scaffold because I think it's so important to if your if your child has been really good at putting themselves off to sleep without a lot of support then offering something you know, often we think as parents oh no they need me there and I need to be touching and I need to be doing this but actually just having you in the room is sometimes so comforting that that's all you need to do. Mm. Yet if you had gone to just bringing them into your bed, boy, you'd have a hard time getting them back to that point of being able to put themselves off to sleep without you there because it, it can just be really hard to keep them in their bed from that point. I also love the idea of gradually removing mm -hmm. that scaffolding. So if you have been you know right you've built the scaffolding right up to that top level where you're having to hold them to get them to sleep. 
And when they're feeling better, they might not be happy to just go straight back to falling asleep in their cot or their bed. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, like they're all different. Some of them will be completely fine with it. Mm. Um, but if they're not, you can just take it take it back a step, take one layer of the scaffolding away and help them kind of ease back into, mm. um, you know, settling to sleep without sort of needing you there. And I think that's a really kind way mm. to do it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we um, we do want to be um, as supportive as we can, don't we, as um, parents? Um, and if we are responding to um, the, or we're, we're watching and supporting our children in their responses to a big change that has happened in their life, um, we want to be um, doing that really kindly and respectfully, um, even if we think, oh, you know, just one extra day at daycare um, isn't a big deal mm. or moving from a toddler bed or moving from a cot to a toddler bed. Oh, come on. All we've done is taken the side off the, the cot. Yes. Um, for us. Yeah, that's nothing. But for them, it's huge. And we do need it to be is. really respectful and supportive of them um, and do yeah. that in, in the kindest way we can. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so important, especially if they've developed separation anxiety. Keep in mind that that fear and anxiety they're feeling when you go to leave is real to them. Yeah, to us, we Mm. just think, oh, gosh, what's the big deal? I'm only in the next room. But, you know, to them, it's terrifying and that's Mm. real and needs to be respected. So moving slowly, yeah, is always a really good idea. All right, so we said we'd keep these episodes pretty short, so I reckon we're heading towards 25 minutes. <laughs> we probably should wrap it up. But just wanted to say thank you to all the people who have given us such lovely feedback. Um, and I know a lot of people did email with questions about what to do um, during illness and when the wheels fall off, which is why we, we decided on this sort of topic for this um, podcast. If you've got questions, um, yeah, by all means, email them to us so that we might be able to discuss those questions next week in the next episode. Um, have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Yes. Bye bye, everyone. If you need help with your baby's sleep or settling, then you need some bell. Sunbell is Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic for babies aged 0 to 12 months. It contains all the best resources from Dr. Fallon and Dr. Laura's sleep clinics, so you can rest easy and soak in your baby. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or visit sombell.infantsleep.com.au.